Welcome to the Plan T Podcast, where I interview industry experts about meal planning, food, and wellness to help you answer the question, what's for dinner? Hello, and thank you for joining me for another episode of the Plan T Podcast. Today, I have an interview with Emmanuel LaRoche, who for his day job is the VP of marketing with a global manufacturer of flavors in the food and beverage industry. But he is also the host of a popular podcast called Flavors Unknown, and he has also written a book called Conversations Behind the Kitchen Door. Today, I got to talk to Emmanuel about his heritage of being French and the influence that his family played on him getting into the food and culinary industry. We talked about the role of immigration in American food culture and what he has seen through the conversations he's had with different chefs and culinary experts. He gives some great advice for how to really easily include international flavors in your everyday cooking. I really enjoyed this interview and I hope you enjoy it too. Hi, Manuel. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you, Ronnie, for having me. I'm really excited to be uh, to be on your show. Uh, really, it's um, great to have a conversation with you. So why don't we just get started by having you tell the audience who you are and what you do? I cannot lie. I cannot say it. I'm, you know, I live in Jersey and I'm so central Jersey. People are not going to believe you, you know, <laughs> listening to my accent and, uh, you know, and my name either. So um, I, I've been, though, 21 years in, uh, in the U.S. and I'm American and French. Uh, but I guess I'm going to keep the accent, so uh, I have to live with that. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, born in uh, born in France. Uh, I lived there um, until 2002. Uh, my kids were born in France, and we arrived as a family. My kids were 10, 6, and 4 um, to New Jersey. And uh, the reason why it's because the company I work for transferred me to uh, the U.S. at the time. So I'm in charge of marketing for a company that manufacture. Uh, flavors for the food and the beverage industry. And uh, there was an opportunity to uh, create the marketing team in in U.S. And I had a previous experience uh, working in the U.S. After my uh, I graduated, I had a, a Master of Chemistry and an MBA. And uh, I went for a year in Wisconsin. Uh, that was really different. But I really loved it. I loved the pace of the business in the U.S. And I said, hey, one day I want to go back. And um, it happened. So I was very excited. And uh, uh, yeah, so through my, um, my uh, let's say, day job, I've been in contact with uh, uh, the world of chefs, and I've always been fascinated in the world of chefs uh, since, you know, a young age, and maybe we'll come back to that. But, um, and um, I, I started uh, moderating panel discussions, you know, with, uh, with chefs for my day job, and I wanted always to dig more into, you know, their world. And um, I was excited to, um, you know, to launch a podcast in 2018 called Flavors Unknown, where I have a genuine conversation with acclaimed chefs and pastry chef mixologists from around the country. And um, yeah, in 2022, I published a book about some of those conversations, plus my own experience uh, called uh, Conversations Behind the Kitchen Door. So in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> you do a lot of things. So you made it very succinct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so let's go back to uh, what got you interested in, you know, going into the, the industry of food and the culinary industry in general. Yeah, I think that's, you know, as I, as I said, I went to first, you know, chemistry and 
And um, because that's probably what I like the or dislike the least, I want to say, maybe from all the discipline <laughs> that I uh, took when I was in France, uh, you know, in uh, high school and, and college. Um, and um, at the end, I, I really wanted to um, to understand the business. So that's why I went to, uh, you know, having an MBA. But uh, the food has been always part of my life. Uh, um, born in a French family with uh, uh, a mother that, you know, loved to cook. Uh, my father was really passionate about wine. Uh, I'm the youngest of the family, so I had two brothers and a sister. My brother went in two as well. Um, you know, wine and food, same thing with my sister. So, um, uh, you know, food was ubiquitous at home. And, uh, and that was part of our... Um, you know, family dinners on the, on the weekend. And, um, I was always drawn to it, um, and spent time with my mom in the, in the kitchen. And, uh, she taught me, in fact, how to, uh, cook when I was a, when I was a kid, um, um, at seven years old there. She, she told me, and she told me how to, uh, um, you know, work on the quiche, you know, Lauren from scratch. She was from that region. So, um, so that was, that was nice. And, and, um, uh, and I had an uncle, her brother had um, a hotel and restaurant in uh, the Jura region of uh, France. Some people heard about that. Uh, so J-U-R-A, you know, about that re region because there's a lot of natural wine now coming from, mm. you know, from that region in France. So a lot of Americans, you know, have heard about at least, you know, those four letters because <laughs> of that. But but I spent a lot of time when I was uh, when I was a kid uh, and, until when I was probably a young teenager. And unfortunately, after that, he passed away. So. Um, that um, closed the the door of uh, that world that sounds very sounded like very uh, mysterious and, and exciting to me. So so I spent a lot of um, you know at least you know several weeks on summer vacation you know uh, at at this place. So so that's probably the bug of a linear of food between my mom and and my uncle. That's um, you know I, I I took that bug of uh, you know with me. So. Yeah, that's uh I read the the introduction to your book and you talk about that process of yes. her teaching you how to make the quiche Lorraine, which is really I think it's really special and uh it's very interesting. So many of the people that I've talked to on the podcast have who have gone into the food industry have an experience like that where somebody mm -hmm. in their life really nurtured mm -hmm. their love for food. Um so it's really a special memory that you have. Yeah, and and, and I, do, I do mention it. I think you know throughout the book that um, I think it's important for uh, being a parent or a grandparent is to um, you know invite their kids or their grandchildren you know in the kitchen and spend time uh, you know with them and and show them um, you know some of like the ABC of uh, of cooking or of pastry or baking. Um, I think this is the memory that they always kept. You know, they will keep with them. Um, I, I kept all those memory, you know, with me, um, maybe, um, one part of in life, you know, I forgot about them, but now, you know, in the process of, of course, of writing the book and, you know, all those memory came back to life and I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. This is, you know, things that's maybe since, you know, I, I found like being very superficial, you know, and I, I mentioned in the book, you know, I still remember my mom, you know, dotted the, 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 the dough off you know, the quiche to make sure that there's no air bubble, you know, and, and she was really patiently doing this and showing this to me. And as a kid, I'm like, yeah, you know, okay, <laughs> whatever. I just want to put like the, the liquid, you know, <laughs> with the eggs there. Why should I do all of this? And of course, now looking back, I'm like, okay, that was part of the tradition. And, 
and she showed it to me and I still do it. You know, I do a lot of quiche at home and you know, that's important. So everything, every little detail is important. So parents, grandparents, bring your kids to the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, and even if you felt like that wasn't something that you thought of very much before you wrote your book, it clearly influenced the trajectory mm -hmm. of your life and, you know, being very yeah. passionate about food. And so, yeah. <laughs> for sure. But always, even, uh, you know, when I was... Um, um, you know, in marketing for a food ingredient company in in Europe, and I, I, I was always lucky to travel, and I love I love travel. That's I think another uh, things that my parents, you know, um, showed me, and and that that was part of the lifestyle. I, I would say, you know, and some I understand sometimes it's not easy, but um, you know, because it might cost you know a bit of money. But my mom didn't work at that time, and my dad was a, a French teacher, so. Um, but they always made sure that, you know, we, we visit different parts of France or we went to other European countries and understand distance were a bit shorter over there. Uh, but, um, so for me, it's, you know, discovering, uh, for me, discovering those culture, uh, you know, happened through foods. So, so food. So that, that, that was another, you know, connection, uh, that I had with food and, and discovering this, like. You know, oh, this is, oh, they eat something very different in the UK that we eat in France or, you know, in Germany. So right. That was pretty yeah. In your uh, world travels, just in general, maybe not so much as a kid, but has there, did you have a favorite destination for food that you would recommend? That's a good question. The thing is, I'm always passionate about a lot of things. So uh, I always find, my kids always said that you always find something that you love in the way where you go. But um, I have to say probably Japan is probably the one um, in the book I mentioned, you know, that I always, I took like my I have three children and I always took them into one destination that they wanted after they graduated, you know, from high school or from, you know, college. Um, and uh, I took my younger son. In fact, that was the, the, the trip with, I did with the youngest and we went to, um, to Japan. And I think the, I discovered Obviously, the world of um, ramen, the world of sushi, it's, you know, elevated to a, another level. But I think that's what fascinated me the most and inspired me more, the most is like the street food. Because we hear the street food from a lot of countries, but we don't really hear, you know, too much from Japan. Um, I mean, the people that are experts, maybe they do. But uh, for me, the spending time in uh, in Tokyo and uh and Osaka, especially, um, and, you know, having access to a lot of the skewers that they are doing, a lot of the, the you know, the bowls with, um, you know, that are filled with octopus and, and uh, you know, that, that for me, like, really um, excited me a lot, you know, in terms of food and, and uh, especially my taste buds, <laughs> for sure. So, yeah, people should go to Zampan. I know it's a little far, but... Uh, um, it is um, it's fantastic destination and and people there are really amazingly um, nice. So so that that's probably one of my best trip. In fact, great. That's on my list. It's already been on my list. So uh, that's just more of an incentive to go. I think. So let's talk a little bit about your podcast. It's called Flavors Unknown. Uh, what's the story behind that name? Yeah. So um, so obviously I am you know in the world of flavors and. Um, so flavors, it's part of my life since, you know, I started working, um, and, uh, because we manufacture, you know, natural flavors and natural extracts for the food and the beverage industry. 
But as well, when you think about the world of chefs, you know, what they want to achieve is in the dish or even, you know, uh, in the dessert or mixologist in a drink is release this balance of flavors. That's, you know, the important aspect balancing with like the key taste of, um, you know, sweet, sour, um, you know, salty uh, acid and umami and so on. So, uh, so flavor was for me, people don't really spend enough time to understand behind the scene, um, what inspire like a dish, what inspire a drink, why chefs or a mixologist thought about that combo, you know, of flavor. And when I go to a restaurant, um, I annoy always the people and the guests that are with me or my family, because I'm going to go in the menu and I'm going to really focus on the one combo, the one flavor that I haven't experienced. That's what drawn me to, you know, what I do and my passion. So that's the flavor part. Um, and the unknown, it's because, yes, there's a lot of, so there's two reasons for it. There's one because... Um, um, for me, it's like the creativity aspect is let's discover like something new that we don't know in the world of flavor. Um, and then the other piece is it's just happened that, um, Anthony Bourdain was, um, you know, uh, someone that was looking up to for, um, what he has done, you know, on, in this country in terms of bringing, um, international cuisine, um, you know, to the masses. Um, and, um, he passed away, um, I would say a few months before I launched the podcast. Mm. So for me, it was like, okay, unknown is the way to go because he had this show called Parks Unknown. So it was kind of an homage, you know, to, for Anthony Bourdain. Oh, that's really wonderful. You have talked to, you know, chefs and culinary experts from all over the world, um, and you took a lot of that information and put it in your book. That was the purpose of your book was to like, like you said earlier, to kind of distill some of that information. Um, what was it about that information that you felt what made it so that it was like necessary to be in a book and not just on the podcast? You know, you have a podcast, so you know that um, having a podcast, recording a podcast, publishing a podcast is one element. Promoting the podcast and bringing that to the audience, you know, is the second step. And people don't think about it, you know, especially when you talk to young people that want to, or people that start a podcast, they said, okay, I'm ready to go, but no one is listening. <laughs> so, you know, you need to bring those people in. And for me, having a book was one of the objective is that it is a way to, uh, uh, to, to uh, expand the horizon in terms of reach, you know, in terms of uh, audience. Um, and bring more people to the podcast. So there was one aspect. Uh, the other aspect as well is, um, let's back up a little bit, is that um, I, when I arrived to this country 21 years ago, and, um, you know, obviously I spent my time discovering, um, you know, the food culture. Um, I always, you know, the first two, three, four, five years that you're here, all your friends from France, your family from France wants to come over. You know, you live, I live close to Manhattan. So of course, you know, touristic place. So you have always visitors. And then, uh, uh, which is not the case anymore, <laughs> not as often, but but the it's interesting because they were like, we don't understand. There's, where's the food culture here? People eat, eat pizza, they eat, they eat hamburger, they eat, eat hot dogs, 
Uh, and then I started to talk to them about, yeah, but there is, you know, this dish or there's that dessert and so on. I said, yeah, but this is not American. This is Chinese influence or this is Indian influence or, you know. And, you know, I was kind of confused. It was like, you know, I was new in the country. Uh, I started traveling, but, you know, as not as extensively I, I've done, you know, after 21 years. Um, so I was not sure how I would answer to it. I was frustrated. Um, and then with all the conversation after that I had on the podcasts, I'm like, okay, now I can answer. I'm going to write a book. And this is, this is an answer to those people that have no idea what is the culture of food in the United States. That if you spend the time to travel, to go past those, you know, fast food chains and, you know, and there is, it's very rich. There is like specific dishes from one region to another. There is specific ingredients that grow, you know, grows like um, different part of the country. Um, and then you have, which for me was the way to answer my family and friends from France is the culture of food in America is driven by the history of immigration. Mm. And in fact, this is what it is. America is, you know, a country of, uh, you know, of immigration. And if it started at the beginning with Western Europe and China, there's a law that changed in 1965 that, in fact, uh, opened the door for other countries to come in. Uh, so people from Latin America, people from other countries, from Asia and so on. So suddenly, you know, a lot of things happen because a lot of those immigrants uh, most of the time open, you know, like a food shop and um, maybe it could be basic, but this is their way for them to, um, you know, to get some uh, income. And um, in fact, when you look back, fast forward, every time I go, you, you, you know, um, Smorgasburg in, uh, you know, when you heard the name, like the, this is kind of a big food events you know, that takes, yeah, there's several in the country. There's one in LA for sure. There's one in Brooklyn and you have like a um, hundred vendors that come like on Saturday and they have like, you know, not food trucks, but they have like different, yeah, you know, stalls. And, and when I look at this and I, you know, I can go from one to another, one is maybe like uh, Thai influence, another one is going to be Moroccan influence, another one is Mexican, another one is Arepas, you know, maybe from, um, you know, Colombia and so on. For me, it's really almost like, here's the representation of what's that change of law in 1965 did, you know, to the food scene in America today. I, I have it in Brooklyn. It's in the, it's there, you know, it's Augsburg. So, so that's, um, you know, so that's, that was for me the, 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 the main drivers for, for like writing the book? Well, I imagine I live in Colorado and okay. our, uh, at Denver? least in the, uh, just north of Denver. Yeah. Okay. And our, but our, our town is not, I wouldn't say very diverse with food. We have mm -hmm. a lot of American pubs, but I'm, I'm certain that on the East coast, particularly around New York city, there's so much diversity of food just for like the population of people being so much greater there. But you used the word fusion a couple different times in there. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious, like, what your take is on people immigrating to the United States and they're cooking their traditional food. But, like, how does it get influenced by either American food or maybe the American palate? Like, how does that fusion work for a lot of people? 
So I think you need to distinguish like the people that immigrate and and the people that are maybe like the chef now that are part of the diaspora and that mm-hmm. they are like the second or third generation. I think that's this two different styles. Um, in fact, maybe to symbolize it and try to illustrate it, if you take American Chinese food, for instance, this is like the adaptation of some of the dishes and some even of them doesn't exist in the Chinese culture. But when Chinese immigrants arrived, they had to adapt. They had to adapt because they had different ingredients. You mm. know, the broccoli was not the same broccoli. It's the Italian broccoli. It's not the broccoli from China. So it's a different taste. Um, and it, um, or they had to adapt, you know, the level of, um, you know, spiciness and to the American palate. So, and it became this American Chinese food, which in fact only exists in America. That's part of almost like American you know, food culture like pizza or, you know, it's, so that's interesting. So that's for me one aspect. And so there's fusion because it's, it's adapting some recipes to the local ingredients or to the taste of the locals here, you know, the American. And then you have after that, what we see today, which I think is fantastic. It's like bubbling everywhere, which are the uh, second or third generation of chefs that have a background of their family comes from Thailand, they comes from Philippines, they come from Mexico, from Peru, um, you know. And then, so it's interesting when, when I talk to most of them, their family, when they arrived here, in fact, wanted them to assimilate. So they were not really like experimenting or even tasting, um, you know, they were tasting American food and eating American food. And then when they had their education. Most of the time, culinary discussion was a French style of, you know, culinary education. And then at one moment, they decided to reconnect with their roots. They went back to Peru. They went back to Thailand. They went back to, um, you know, to um, Mexico. And then they took some of those interesting um, maybe um, like culinary techniques that were different from the one they grew up with or they learned. Um, and they started to bring that into their menu, but they grew up in the U.S. So in fact, they started to connect. It's not like really authentic Peruvian because that's not what they are interested in. And they grew up with eating American food. So they are blending some of the American ingredients where they are so local. So it would be maybe like if you have a restaurant like in Denver, for instance, and it's, you know, an American Mexican person from second or third generation, they were going to look at some specific ingredients that you have in the, in the Colorado area. And there's fantastic ingredients there. And then they are going to, um, you know, blend this with maybe like a French techniques because they learned the French technique. And then as well, they want maybe to add um, you know, a specific, like, or maybe it's based on a, a recipe from Mexico. So there's that. So it's not like the old fusion idea where you did not remember, know what it is at the end, you know, when you have on your plate. Here, it's really very specific. It's a blending local ingredients with a certain techniques and with a certain, you know, maybe a recipe in mind. And they play with that. So I, I think it's fascinating. At least for me, it is. Oh, that's super interesting. It's I I hadn't thought about that idea that it could be 
there could be multiple influences on one dish you, that you could obviously you could obviously have like local ingredients at the but that mm-hmm. the technique that that somebody would use that they learned as their culinary style might be different from the actual like cultural influence of the actual dish that's super fascinating that all of those three things could be slightly different an example that exists for me that that uh, you know is fascinating is um and it is not in the U.S., but it is brought in the U.S. But um, Peruvian food is, in fact, the fastest growing uh, culinary or cooking influence, you know, uh, in the U.S. at the moment. The fastest is Peruvian food. And uh, when you look at uh, Peruvian cuisine, there's a lot of influences there in Peru. Um, there is um, the Spanish, you know, that came. When you look, it's again, it's a story of immigration. You know, you have to think about it. You cannot avoid it. That's the way it is. Sometimes it's force. Sometimes it's through like very difficult moments. It could be a war. It could be an occupation, you know, from a country to another. But there's always influence of food and there's an outcome of it. So Chinese, so sorry, um, the Spanish, you know, conquistadors like arrive. So influences on certain ingredients, you know, there like olive, for instance, like olive grows in Peru and there's a fantastic olive sauce because of the Spanish influence from hundred years back. And then you have uh, a wave of migration coming from China. So there is a typical Peruvian cuisine called chifa. That is the Chinese Peruvian combination. And then after that, there is the the Japanese influence because there's been a an immigration of Japanese people in per- in Peru. In fact, uh, the Japanese community in Peru is the second largest in the world after Japan. Uh-huh. So then if you look, and I want to use that as an example, ceviche, which is a typical dish from mm-hmm. Peru, where the fish were, or seafood were cut into cubes and pieces and were replaced into, you know, lemon juice to to start like a little bit of the, cooking, you know, if you want, the, the action of the lemon juice and the acidity on, on the fish. So it really gives like, um, you know, a specific uh, way, you know, for the ceviche. But now the immigrants from Japan and the chefs there from Japan taught the chef from Peru that you can cut the fish differently. You can cut your fish like a sashimi. Mm-hmm. And then, in fact, to preserve like the fresh taste of fish that you are going to add the acidity at the last minutes of serving. And this is now what we call the tiradito. So if you go to, and you see that, I know, maybe not where you live, but on the East Coast, on the West Coast, there's a lot of Peruvian restaurants in Atlanta as well. There's a lot of restaurants, Peruvian restaurants, and they have on the menu ceviche and tiradito. Mm-hmm. So it's an illustration of the history of immigration in Peru that now it's coming here because of the Peruvian chef or the, the, the chef that have a, a background, uh, you know, in Peru and Peruvian family that are like the second or third generation, you know, of immigrants here in the U.S. They are bringing all of this, all those excitement of, you know, new flavors and so on into uh, the American, um, you know, landscape. So. Wow, that is really fascinating. Sorry. I know I never can shut up when I talk about food, so you have to stop I, Oh, I love it. No, I really love it. Um, it's so cool to hear that and to because I've seen, oh, obviously I've had ceviche, but I've, I've seen those things on the menu before. And sometimes you, you know, you look at it and you're like, I don't actually know 
what's this one and what's this one? Like, I don't know which one I should get. Sure. So it's interesting when you know the backstory of something, it makes it much more, you appreciate the experience more when mm -hmm. you understand the backstory of it. So I'm curious if you have any ideas for people who are just at home cooks, at home chefs, um, like hearing about, you know, international flavors and like how these different cuisines can develop. Do you have any tips for how everyday people can include a little more international flavor in their cooking? Sure. Yeah, I know it seems always like overwhelming. Oh, you know why? Uh, how do how do I start? And uh, is it it's complicated? Um, you know, there's a lot of ingredients that I don't have. So yeah, for sure. Um, but you know, I I work a lot. Um, my day job, I travel a lot. And sometimes I don't have a lot of time for me, you know, to prepare dish, you know, and food when I come back home. So I have always ways of doing this. So yes, you need to have specific ingredients. And if you want, I can give you uh, maybe like four things that I have in my pantry that I can add, you know, on a simple dish. It could be on a salad. It could be on, a, on eggs, you know, and fish. And I turn that dish. So think about like a, a recipe that you will, you would do for yourself, like the, the one that you know, but then you want to maybe integrate like one element that is going to bring that dish to a different space, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and the different influence. So there is, I don't know if you, um, you know, there's, um, there's a combo of spice that called from the Middle East that's called Zatar. Probably you've heard about it. Uh -huh. uh, it's Z-A apostrophe A-T-A-R. It's in fact, it's a blend of, uh, you know, herbs and uh, there's, um, you know, a little bit of nutty character, a little bit of crunchiness because there's sesame, sesame seeds. So you need to like sesame, otherwise that's an issue. Uh, you have dry sumac, you know, as a spice, a little bit of oregano, a little bit of thyme. Uh, that for me, I have always, and you can find it in any spice shop. Um, I, I, I use it in a lot of things. I, I do a salad, like a simple salad with some mixed greens, you know, some uh, boiled eggs, um, some maybe, um, you know, like uh, uh, chicken and so on. And I just sprinkle it, you know, on top or, you know, or sometimes if I make croutons, I will, I will put that with the croutons that I had in the, in the salad. And it is so aromatic and it's, it's really going to give you kind of a, an introduction to uh, the taste of the Middle East without changing anything else, you know? So that's one thing's very easy for me. Another one that I always have, um, you know, on my pantry is uh, chili crisp. Because chili crisps, you know, it's like kind of the buzzword at the moment. You see mm -hmm. it popping up everywhere. Every restaurant do their own version. Uh, some shops are making it and they, 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 they sample it, you know, and or you can buy it from like in jar. Uh, so it's it's really spicy. So you need to you need to like spicy, but it's spicy, crunchy. Um, there is a little bit of garlic in there, um, you know. And 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 sometimes there's different influences. You can have like the Chinese influences when it's like red chilies and uh, Sichuan peppers, and then or you can have sometimes a Mexican version of it when you have more jalapeno or serrano uh, habanero peppers. And then again, same thing. I I put this. Um, it gives like um, the spiciness and as well the the crispiness the, and some crunchiness. So that I love. The other one is so that's the second one. The third th third one is salsa matcha. 
salsa matcha, which is uh, coming from Mexico. And it's uh, Veracruz, you know, region origin. Mm. And again, it's a little bit of the, you know, dry chili with garlic and nuts and, and um, all of this in, is fried. So it's in oil. Um, and you can drip it in salads. On salads, you can, you know, if if I do like uh, a, an egg sandwich, for instance, you know, with uh, with um, ham or turkey or and so on, I will I will do a, like put like a little spoon on it, you know, inside the sandwich, and um, I love it. And then the last one, which is I in fact, you know, bought, brought it back. I, I was in Hawaii uh, not too long ago. I visited my daughter there. And then um, Japan influence is very strong there. So there is one ingredient called furikake. um, And uh, it's F-U-R-I-K-A-K-E. And uh, this is toasted sesame seeds with um, seaweeds, like the nori pieces, herbs, um, you know, fish flakes and so on. And again, I I use that on usually a salad when I do a mix side, doesn't matter what it is. Um, and uh, you can put it on um, omelets, you know, that's very good as well. And, and then suddenly you have, you know, like the a, a little bit of the taste of Japan on your plate. So four different things. One is, you know, like Middle East, Japan, Chinese, Mexican, and then you can play with that. And it's it, it just like, so I think for what I would say for people is like, don't be shy to incorporate, you know, those ingredients, even if you don't, you don't have to make a complete Mexican dish or a complete Middle Eastern dish, you know, don't go that route, you know, do your traditional uh, recipe and start incorporate, incorporating, um, you know, that multicultural aspect with some of those key ingredients that you are going to find in a spice store that you are going to find in, uh, you know, um, like in a sauce aisle or like a, you know, a condiment. So when you shop, explore that, those aisles, you know, or visit ethnic markets, you know, that, uh, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. So. Yeah. I like that idea a lot because it feels not very, it feels really not stressful, you know, mm-hmm. just, just cook the way that you normally cook and maybe yeah. mix up the spices a little bit to try something different. You don't have to go um, trying to figure out how you're going to pair different flavor combinations in, in a unique way or that is, you know, original to a certain area in the world. So that's a really great advice. I like that a lot. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, um, I think people, some, you know, I see people being um, uncomfortable or not wanting to try, said, oh, you know, something, you know, what's going to happen? I mean, you know what, maybe you don't like it and then, you know, you try something else. Uh, but I, I use it even when I do um, like my quiche, for instance, and my mom will absolutely probably hate me for this because, you know, for her quiche, and I said in a book, it's only simple ingredients from, you know, the Lorraine area in France. And every time I wanted to experiment, even when I was a kid, she was like, nope, you cannot. <laughs> I'm like, come on, mom. So now, sorry, mom, but I'm experimenting with it. And, uh, you know, so I, I you know, I, I love, for instance, uh, and the idea is not for me. It's from uh, like a famous uh, baker that I had on the podcast and it's on the book, Antonio Bachour, you know, from Miami. Um, he's doing like a quiche with using the croissant dough, you know, from as the dough for the quiche, 
which you can do it as well. Like instead of doing a big quiche, you can do individual ones. You know, you take as well, like the, maybe the, the muffin mold, you know, that mm -hmm. you can put then a little bit of the croissant dough in each of them. And, and then you put like the, the mix, you know, for the quiche on top, which is very easy. Um, I do not do the croissant dough. He does like Antonio Bashur <laughs> because he's talented and this is what he does. I just buy the croissant dough of the store and I will do that, but I will use it and you elevate your quiche so that, you know, that's a simple way of doing it. Um, so it's not multicultural, but yes, if you want, because it's French, you know, originally, but, um, but it's, you know, you can elevate your cooking by just changing one ingredient. Mm -hmm. What's your favorite thing to cook? Oh boy. It's like, what's my favorite children? You know, it's like, <laughs> like um, I don't know what's my favorite thing to cook. Uh, you know what? I think, I mean, quiche, yeah, that's my go-to. When I have parties and so on, it's like easy. I can do, uh, you know, vegetable quiche. I can do uh, quiche with like smoked salmon and salmon and, and goat cheese, you know. So I experiment a lot and, you know, with that. So I love that. Um, but I think what I love is to go to the farmer's markets or the fish markets. And then usually I do a ceviche, one ceviche per week. So then that's probably the one, because that's another platform that you can experiment. If you have access to very good, fresh, uh, I know Denver, I may, <laughs> Colorado, yes, maybe not. But still, you know, uh, but, you know. Uh, you know, fish or seafood. I love like scallop ceviche, for instance. So I buy fresh scallop, I slice them very thin. Um, and then, you know, recently I went in, uh, in Hawaii and I got uh, with my daughter, went to a restaurant there and they had a, a, a ceviche with scallops and they, in between each slice of the scallops, they put a slice of Asian pear. And, uh, and I was like, I haven't thought about this. And the combo was so nice that that's my version now. So every time I do my ceviche, um, I always buy Asian pear. And, um, you know, I do a ceviche with, uh, you know, different, um, like red, you know, red uh, onion, um, you know, the Asian pear. And, you know, I, I put like different, you know, uh, toppings, but I obviously mix maybe some lime with lemon juice and, um, you know, and that's, that's my go-to. It's easy to make. It's healthy. Mm. Yeah, that sounds really yummy. The, I bet that um, that like sour and sweet flavor yeah. together is really wonderful. In that. Yeah, and then it, when it fits in the summer, then you can, um, you know, then I buy uh, basil leaves and then I put them into like in a small blender. So I make it at a little, you know, a little sauce, liquid sauce that I put a little bit of olive oil with. And then, you know, lemon and, and pepper. And then you can put a little bit of drops on like the scallop ceviche is yummy. Mm. <laughs> now I'm getting hungry. Okay, is the, I'm really curious. Is there any food that you will only eat in France because it's just not the same anywhere else or maybe specifically not the same in the United States? <laughs> I think that's, you know, it's a good question. In fact, I think quality of the food has evolved a lot in 21 years you know, uh, that I'm here um, because of those influences that we talked and access to maybe people pay more attention, you know, chefs like on the ingredients and so on. But I had a hard time when I arrived is um, to find like good bread. Mm. 
So, which is not the case anymore. You you have like good bread, especially where I live and not too far from, you know, the city, from New York City. So, um, and when I travel, I always find like good bakers. There's a culture now of, of course, the sourdough exploded, you know, as we know during, um, you know, the pandemic. Uh, so people are more connected to the art of making bread. Um, so the quality of bread have changed a lot in 20, 20 years, you know, in the country. But at the beginning for me, that was like difficult. Or croissant, you know, which is very specific. You now you can find croissant, but before that it was, you know, they were not crisp. You know, it needs they need to be like really the contrast of the 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 crispiness on the outside and then the moist, you know, aspect on the inside. So you know, <laughs> sorry, that's my French DNA that's comes back. <laughs> I was I was kind of expecting it to be related to carbohydrates, <laughs> but yeah, that and 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 the other one was cheese. I, you know, again. Um, that has changed a lot. Now you can find a lot of uh, good, um, like farmer cheese, like in Vermont or in California. And, you know, that's, that's fantastic. And I'm sure, sorry for other people listening that maybe I'm sure there's fantastic, uh, cheeses, you know, around the country, but, um, you know, it was hard for me when I, uh, you know, I love cheese and, um, the variety of cheese in France is, you know, is it's really, you know, huge compared to what I could mm -hmm. find here. Yeah. So I have I have a story, in fact, when I arrive, and I hope there's no one from Wisconsin listening. But uh, when I arrive, um, it was a long time ago. It was at the end of the 80s, in fact, that I came to Wisconsin for the, in the U.S. for the first time. Uh, my colleagues there, they uh, welcomed me, uh, of course, because I was coming from France. The first weekend, they said, ah, we have to bring you to a, a farm and with a cheese store there. So I'm like, sure, you know, yeah. So we were there with them at the farm. And of course, when we arrived, the woman that was behind the counter, so she has different, sorry, I want to say a brick of cheese with different colors, <laughs> you know, orange and, and like cheddar and, you know, and, and I'm like, oh, okay. And then they were like, he's from France. So he has this culture. So she was really excited and she went to the back and she came back with like another brick of cheese that was very, very dark. And it was like a very old uh, age, you know, cheddar. And uh, I was very polite. I, I said that I love that cheese. <laughs> so, but the the things have changed now. There's this fantastic, you know, um, cheese. I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm just listening to just what I said. You lost like half of your audience now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because I was going to say, well, didn't you first come to Wisconsin? But... It's a, I'm sure it's a different style of cheese than what you're yes. used to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but now, you know, I eat cheddar as well now, you know, after 20 years, I got to Yeah. It. <laughs> That's funny. Okay. Well, um, before we go, why don't you tell everybody where they can connect with you, find your book, listen to your podcast, all that yeah, stuff. Maybe they don't want now. Press it about the cheese. I don't think but so. I please, bet they will. You know, you know, I'm very open to any type of food. So, um, yeah, my podcast is Flavors Unknown. So flavor, Flavors Plural Unknown. Um, they can find it in any uh, podcast platform. I publish every other week because, you know, I, I cannot do every week. It's a bit too much for my day job. Um, and I'm, I just published episode 148. Um, and then um, they can see, you know, all the information on my website. It's called flavorsunknown.com. Uh, there's like the, all the episodes and information on the book. So the book, it's called Conversations Behind the Kitchen Door. 
Uh, the, the forward was uh, written by Chef Elizabeth Faulkner. He's a good friend of mine. And um, yes, there's about more than 50. The subtitle said, you know, 50 American chefs uh, chart today's food culture. But there's a bit more of uh, 50 chefs there. And I tried to make that book interactive. So there's a lot of QR codes where they can go back to the episodes if there's, they like what they read about the chef. And, you know, and, but the, the book is definitely not um, the content of the podcast. It's mm. much more conversations, you know, and experience and all the learnings, uh, you know, from any conversation I had with chefs here in the US. They can follow me on Instagram at, again, Flavors Unknown. Uh, that's the Instagram and uh, Facebook as well. Perfect. But thank you very much for uh, inviting me to uh, join your show. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, thank you for joining me. It's been a wonderful conversation. And I'll make sure that we link to all your things in the show notes so that people can easily access Thank you. Them. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to this episode. There will be links in the show notes to Emmanuel's podcast, his book, as well as his social media channels so that you can connect with him and listen to his wonderful podcast. And if you'd like to support the Plant Eat podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review in Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I will see you again in two weeks with another episode. And thank you for listening.